where will we go next? Probably California would be the next market, but we have some work to do there. And it would be LA or, or San Francisco. There was a time when people suggested op-ed columns that when someone, presumably Waymo, deployed, actually pulled safety drivers, that this would constitute like a Gladwellian, like a tipping point, and that everyone else developing AVs would just fold and come crawling to Waymo's door. That hasn't happened. So there's the famous Morgan Stanley quote about how in the future there'll only be five car companies and Morgan motor cars. And I own a Morgan, so I know why that's true. No Caterham one, as well, right? Won't Caterham survive? Yeah, Come on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're too good compared to Morgan's. Yeah, so, this is true. But it seems likely that actually they'll, in the future, there'll also only be probably five AV full stack developers in the world. It seems like in the same way that the internet's bifurcating between like a Chinese internet, like a, clo- like a closed internet and an open one, that AV stacks will be the same thing. Because no one will would allow like a predominantly foreign-owned stack to operate in their country unless they had some awareness, understanding of how it functioned. So it seems like, I mean, Waymo will be likely be one of them. Um, it seems impossible, and that's not the case. And then you've got, I guess, Cruz, Argo, and then you've got, these are companies that are aligned with OEMs in a big way. The companies that are not aligned with OEMs have not yet shown how they are going to have staying power 25 years from now, 50 years from now. So is that true? Will we devolve into the full stack developers mirroring the surviving numbers of OEMs? Ah, uh, it's, um, there's a lot in that, in that question and, and statement. And there's, like, <laughs> and there's a lot that, you know, and could speculate on here. Yeah. So let, let, let's try to break it down. I, I, I love it. It's a great thing to launch from. Um, one of the things that has surprised us is the October, 2015 firefly, our moonshot landing, I would argue, um, isn't what we've done. Um, in the last six months or so in Phoenix, but rather what we did um, with Steve Mann, um, our blind friend of the project, who we put in a firefly and uh, let drive through the streets of Austin, Texas in October 2015. And curiously, I think that feat, as far as we know, hasn't been duplicated yet. And that was nearly five years ago. And one of the things I was looking forward to chatting with, with about with you guys tonight was why do you think no one has done that yet? Because we all sort of scratch our heads and say, is, is, is there not the capability there or have folks the capability, but they've chosen not to do it or not to show it. Um, yeah. Th- so that one's you, for you, Alex, but then let me keep going. Cause I want to, I want to set the context before you answer. Um, it took Waymo two more years to go from that feat Um, to getting three driverless cars running at the same time on the roads of Phoenix in our next generation car. This was the Pacifica with SDSD, our fourth generation driver. Firefly was our third generation driver. And it took us another year to get 100 cars up and going in fully autonomous mode at the same time, demonstrating reliability at the scale you'd need to really run a service. And that took us another year um, to have the confidence to pull um, the safety driver and, and run as we're doing now on a daily basis in what we call writer-only mode. By the way, we think writer-only mode is one of the few completely unambiguous terms for driverless or self-driving or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's it's taken from the moonshot um, to this first inkling of scale, real scale, four and a half years. Um, and you know, going back to that first step and landing that first moonshot, when will the next entity in the space land? On the moon. So, so the question is, why has no one, no one done driverless yet? Right or yeah, only? Yeah, mode. going back to Waymo's moonshot yeah. moment, pre-Waymo, right. Google self-driving car project, October 2015. True, we didn't talk about it until December 2016. Mm-hmm. So the world had, you know, 15 months of non-awareness of this thing. But um, it's just curious to us that it hasn't been duplicated yet. And then I wondered yeah. why, why. Do you think that it has happened and they just, companies just haven't made it public or that maybe that's happening already in let's say China. 
I, I, my own, my own point of view is I, it's so super cool to do something like that, that if you had the capability, you would want to demonstrate it and want to talk about it to show that, oh, we've done it too. So my question back to you would be, why did Waymo do it? Was it about proving something to the world? Was it about motivating yourselves, setting a goal and trying to reach it? Why did you guys do it? I think at, at that time, so, um, for me, I had been at Waymo all of four weeks. And, and so the team got me up to speed on this thing and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, are you guys confident? And they said, yeah. And, and, and so we went and did it. Um, but at that point, the project had been in place for six years. And so there, there was some sense that it was time to demonstrate, at least to ourselves, um, that we had this capability. And we would decide at some point later when to share the feat uh, with the rest of the world. Are you glad or maybe glad isn't the right word, but are you satisfied with that decision that it was the right move to make at that time? Because it did then, of course, that was a milestone. And then how do you go from here? And so expectations were set at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, And I think um, it's one of the things that um, Google soon to become Alphabet recognized. It's like, okay, we've landed the moonshot. Now we need to bring this thing to fruition and um, bring the benefits to the world, right? And so I think it was an important milestone for us because it was that recognition that, okay, it's time to scale. It's time to make this happen um, at volume. Why are you looking at me, Jen? <laughs> well, I, I mean, want to hear your opinion, yeah, Alex. Yeah, well, Alex, why hasn't... Why hasn't Argo, Argo done the Everless? Come on. Well, first of all, I'm, I don't represent Argo <laughs> in the Atana cast, and I never have. True. However, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> um, you know, there, there have clearly been two camps in autonomous vehicles. The people who say they're going to do things and miss every deadline <laughs> and then the companies who have a measured and a pragmatic approach. Uh, Waymo, I mean, you had the benefit of being first in almost every way. Um, and also, uh, I mean, <laughs> me personally speaking, the, the fence, I mean, the, the Chandler Gilbert fence, um, is a fence in which one can develop over a long period of time. And whereas I mean, if I was operating in San Francisco, I, I would not let a passenger in a vehicle until that thing was fully baked because the risks are too high. The fence is a terrible fence. It's complex. And the, the risk of a public relations disaster is too high. Forget a technical problem. Uh, and so I, I mean, I voted, I voted professionally for Argo because I believe that a company should not be making demonstrations unless they can follow up with a drumbeat of progress. Waymo has had a, there's a roadmap, Mm. the the benefit of being the first to lay out the map and march down that map. And I don't think any company in Tesla's, this this is a gift to you, Ed, Tesla is exactly how not to make announcements and demonstrate anything uh, regarding autonomous technology. And, but you know, almost every company, I mean, I literally looked, there's a guy, Eric Paul Dennis, our friend on Twitter. Do you know Eric Paul Dennis? I've seen him on Twitter. Center Center for Automotive Research. This guy, he puts out uh, a a calendar of uh, milestones that are announced and he fills it in with missed, 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 missed Uh, for every company there is with all the different nomenclature of the targets. And when I looked at that in, uh, this is right after the Elaine Hertzberg crash. I remember looking at that chart and then, uh, planning a trip to Pittsburgh with uh, Tonicast and lining up the companies in the chart with who they were. And the last company on the chart with the, the, the furthest out launch deadline was Argo. And that was, that's kind of what led me to end up working for them. Um, because I'm like, whoever is wise enough to not be afraid to say, we're going to be the slowest guys, or we're going to be the most patient ones. I buy that argument. Well, by the way, like if you're a, um, not very well capitalized company, uh, I think that's what drives a lot of the decisions to make targets and do demonstrations because a lot of these companies are in fundraising rounds, for example, or are about to go public 
for example, and they need wait, 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 to go back up public, like, like Uber, Uber was playing their IPO Correct. and like, we better get some miles up on and, them, on the board. I mean, they've <laughs> never come out and said it, but if but you could, I'll you could it. connect those dots. I mean, it's well, there's been companies too, where you like, they're very quiet. And then all of a sudden they start putting a bunch of videos out and then you start hearing like they're raising around. Now, as someone who is a big fan of, um, the princess bride, have we all seen the princess bride? <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> raising their hands right now. Everyone's raising their hands. All of John's entourage, raise their hand. Uh, and uh, what William Goldman, the screenwriter, he wrote the book too. And he say, oh, Hollywood, and life is Hollywood. And so as someone who has been on the fringe of the film business, you don't put out your trailer too far in advance of the movie's release. Um, do you think you put out your trailer on time, John? You mean with... Your, your drive into what was it? Uh, with the guy in the vehicle, the firefighter. Oh, Steve Mann. Um, I don't know. So we, we did the drive in October, 2015. We held off on it and used it as a launch moment Mm -hmm. for Waymo, which, which we thought was a nice, um, and fairly easy to understand story. So we've landed the moonshot. Now it's time to scale. Um, we took another year to, um, then show, the Pacificas um, with the Waymo driver and three Waymonauts being driven around Phoenix simultaneously. We call them Waymonauts. Mm. Yeah. Do you know if you're a new, uh, if you had chosen to come to work for Waymo instead of there Argo, was no choice you involved. would be a Waymonute. Um, <laughs> and what that's we call a, young or, or, or just novice yeah. Waymonauts. Were I aware of the, these titles, there's no way I would ever even have considered it. Are you an Argonaut? No. <laughs> Why not? Because, well, I asked I, when I got there, I asked him like, did you guys, Jason, the Argonauts? He's not, never even thought of it. I'm like, no, you actually did not know about it's not too late. It's not I'm too like, late. Cause about, we weren't uh, Waymonauts at first. It took some time to grow into it. The culture, Go on. cultures evolve. But let's not yeah, let's move not get, away yeah, from the question. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and right. And so like, I think your question though, like it gets to sort of a, a dichotomy that sort of has haunted this space for a long time of like what matters, right? Lies. And this is something that we're constantly asked, I think, or Kirsten and I anyway, as, as reporters, right? It's like, how do you know that this matters? Yeah. Right. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's sort of two things, right? There's, there's the spectacle of an event that shows people what's possible, inspires them. It's clearly a big part of, of this whole thing. And like getting- the avatar car that we saw <laughs> last night. Yeah. Well, no. And, and just for, for example, for seriously yeah, well, though, know, John, you should call let, them up. They need less some help, man. On the Avatar <laughs> car, the better. Um, right. But there's a, there's a reason to go through those exercises. Uh, certainly automakers with the, the whole show car, um, or concept car, you know, process. And for AV developers, that can be the demo, a, a milestone. It can get your engineers. It can be a recruiting moment. Right. But, but the, you know, the reality of, uh, making and validating these products uh, is a, it's a long tail process. John, it's fundamentally it's not, not a singular event. It's a long process. It's a long process of development. And, and what we've wanted to do is bring folks along with us on that, on that journey. So part of the rationale was, you know, with Firefly, okay, we did this um, and we want to share it with the world. It was sort of a cool thing. Um, a year later, um, in late 2017, the you know the the Pacific is with the fourth generation Waymo driver. Um, at the same time, we're making progress. Driverless is here, like meaning it's 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 available. Like we're doing this right now on public roads. We're so excited. Our hope to land that in an even greater fashion by the end of 2018. We did miss that, um, but not by a lot. And and we're doing it now. You know, and and we'd hope to get there. I think there is um, there is is some advantage to pushing um, and stretching a little bit, not too much. You have to find just the right amount. Um, but sometimes um, more than cats, less than musk. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, I thought, yeah, cats versus Sana. Maybe. But, yeah. but, but what do you mean by stretching yourself? Does that mean going into new markets or does that mean um, doing, for example, what has just been done in, in, in and more often in, in Chandler, which is, you know, putting the public, into driverless cars, so no human safety giving driver. The public, giving folks the public like and, a, and a few animals. In yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> and a few animals. But, well, but giving folks the opportunity to experience the technology and then explain what it feels like. Because yeah. for these first-time riders, it's it's a big deal. Well, and, right? and that's that was the thing with, with that driverless ride. And I, we talked a little bit about on the show, so I won't go too much into it. But like, you know, having been in a bunch of 
autonomous vehicles before development vehicles, uh, always with a safety driver. Um, I did not have sort of going into that driverless ride. I did not have a like, you know, Oh my God, like it's magic kind of a attitude about it. It's like, it's a thing I'm doing my job, so you're just, just jaded, but there man. was, well, I was, and maybe jaded. And yet like there was something about that experience that affected me on a psychological level that I did not expect at all. So I think there is clearly, you know, spectacle can be, and I'll tell you what, how they, they're connected here too, because I, I was in that, that van and when the psychological impact of I'm looking at this, there's no one there, there's nothing else. It's me and the technology. The obvious question was how, you know, how did you end up in this position? Like, how did you, why did you agree to this? Why, you know, why do you, why do you trust these guys enough that you were willing to do it? And that it wasn't the singular events. That was, that wasn't what went through my mind. What went through my mind is actually sort of the, the things where the times where you maybe, uh, you know, hadn't necessarily hit a target that you'd set, um, but had decided to take your time and get it right. And I think that that's, you know, so I think when it comes to building trust, that's also a long tail thing. And people may not realize how important trust even is. I don't think people can really understand how important trust is to this business until they've been in an actual well, Until you put a newborn in the vehicle alone. Or, your, or a loved one. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> on here's, my, here's, here's my... It's a long tail that, that creates that trust. But at the it's same time, why... Uh, it's not a, a company that it, it deserves necessarily a parallel because they have a completely different approach. But why is it that that you talk about this long tail trust approach when it comes to um, ride hailing services in an autonomous vehicle. I like to use the short term RoboTaxi, but I don't know if everyone here in the room oh. likes the name RoboTaxi, but it's easy. Um, but there's that long tail piece and trusting it. And then there are people who will absolutely push the boundaries of level two systems in like a Tesla, for example. And, and that, to, are these two different groups of people or is it because on one hand people will absolutely push it way beyond technology, way beyond what it, what, sh what it should be um, trying to cheat the system and stuff like that. And then on the other hand, when it comes to the ride hailing service, all of a sudden it becomes this like, well, you have to have this long tail trust that's developed over time. Are these two different groups of consumers? I think I think so. I don't think the people who are who love autopilot, they're a very vocal the minority. The people who love autopilot as a Tesla owner are the people who want to believe that there are like diet diet pills with no side effects and steroids that are totally cool. Whereas an autonomous vehicle is a different product. It's like a, a salve um, for something that you can't like it's a cure, which is a, autopilot's not a cure for anything. It's an adventure. Yeah. Whereas and I mean, an I autonomous vehicle that you right, we've talked about, about that. You've talked about I mean, how the goal is for this to be boring. It's not yeah, supposed to be exciting. Have, and and uh, by the way, I do think they're, the groups are very different. Um, we've specifically sought for our service regular people, um, not evangelical tech enthusiasts, because we wanted broad appeal. We wanted to see if folks would take this new technology who weren't on the bleeding edge of technology. And I think, by the way, that's one of the reasons why, because um, I see this from time to time in places like Reddit, folks are disappointed that there aren't enough videos posted of our ride. That's because like a lot of our writers are unfortunately not very socially active. Um, and and what, to them, it's what like, no, plus. this is just how I get to work. You know, um, um, We cheer when, when our writers post something. Please post, have fun, that we would love you to do so. Um, but for the most part, they, they aren't those sorts. And, and I think, um, a lot of Tesla autopilot enthusiasts are evangelical technology enthusiasts and they love this. And that's great too, for that technology, yeah. but is it, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I worry about, yeah it depends. Yeah. Did you notice, um, in your ride, did you notice the warning label on our steering wheel? I sort yes. of want to make this, I did a point of comparison. I think it would be so much fun. Explain to your podcast listeners what the warning label on a Waymo car. This craft guy is so good. <laughs> it, it just, media training. I don't remember the exact wording, which I, now I'm a little embarrassed about. It's media training. No, it was basically it was like, crazy. Take, there was a lot to take in. I think but it, it was, was something like, do not, do not enter or attempt to like touch the wheel or something like that. Right. It, it basically says, we'll get you the exact text, but the message is if you touch the steering wheel, we're going to end your ride. Okay. Because Waymo's driving and it's the exact opposite 
of every other warning in the industry, which says it's your responsibility as the human driver to keep your hands on the wheel and your eyes on the road. And if you don't do that, yep. and there's a problem, it's your fault. So, agree. so which is a perfect segue to talk about, you know, the responsibility and liability. Alex has a follow-up Did I take question. the words right out I'm of your sensing mouth? Sorry. Body language. He's so flummoxed. Go, please, Alex. You're just dying over here. I really want to hear the answer to your what you're about to pose. No, no, please. But before I, we move uh, on from the firefly, I didn't get flummoxed from that. I, well, I, I said just when he you, shakes his head, agitated, agitated, agitation. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. The Firefly. Yeah. Oh, we're back. The Firefly, which was a really cool design. Yeah. Why did it go away? Because it is easily cooler and more practical and was a functioning vehicle. And the and designer is actually really interesting because she is from YJM? not from. Yeah. She's yeah, not from the auto. Yeah. She's not from the auto industry at all. So, I mean, yeah. you look at some of these really like, I want to say suboptimal, but just junk concepts at CES that manufacturers yeah. roll out. And, and yet the firefly was a fully baked real thing it was cool. Why did it go away? Can I just say in the moment, I am loving this autonomous cast right now, because this, this is the question that I love to answer. Nobody ever asks it. And I think both of you guys think the answer is too long, but I think these listeners would really enjoy this. So Alex, here's the answer. Begin. Here's the answer. So, um, you may know this, but there are two automotive industry standards in the U.S., FMVSS 208 and FMVSS 500. FMVSS 208 is almost every car on the road. FMVSS 500 are neighborhood electric vehicles. That's what they're called. Um, they're capped at 25 miles per hour. This is one of the downsides um, to the Firefly. Can't go faster than 25, which in the end ended up being the primary reason. But the other cool thing about FMVS 500, it does not require a steering wheel or a brake pedal. So we could actually put together an avatar for self-driving, which, which is really, to use the term avatar, this was an avatar for self-driving. It was really cool. Um, but it was limited to 25 miles per hour. Um, it didn't have air conditioning. It could have, but it didn't. But it allowed us to show the world what this thing could look like with a clean sheet. And I love that YJ and the team, this was before my time, I love that they had this idea that it should be an extremely approachable, accessible, cute, and cuddly design, when in fact it was the first rolling robot ever put forward into the world to interact with humans. You know, it was in a way a sort of scary thing, but they made it look cute and cuddly. And I remember this iconic um, photo um, within six months or so of my arriving in the job. And uh, we'd gotten pulled over by a motorcycle cop in, in Mountain View. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this picture of the cute and cuddly little firefly pulled over and the motorcycle cop looking on, you know, in an angry way. And if you were looking at this picture, you would say, what did that poor cute little car do? Why is he being mean to that cute little car? Um, and it was sort of the genius of that design. Um, and I think it gave us a very nice um, foot forward. So kudos to the team um, at Chauffeur, as the project was known at the time who had the foresight, YJ and others, to, to put forward that I have design. a very quick follow-up. Yeah. So uh, a number of co uh, companies like GM are, are uh, lobbying to have, you know, um, basically qualify or have a, a special exception for the FMVSS to be able to remove the steering wheel. Would a better strategic approach for companies to actually lobby to just, um, on the FMVSS 500, raise the uh, speed limit? Would oh. that be easier? 
I think that would be a pretty huge rewrite of FMVSS 500 because 208 has so many other um, safety-related components attached to it and, and, and 301 and some of the other things. I think that might be tricky. Um, I, I, I do wonder, it's like we support um, the ability to remove steering wheels and two, otherwise 208-compliant cars too, um, but we can deploy right now with cars like this. And it's not a huge impediment and it allows for mixed driving in this testing onto commercial ramping phase that we're doing right now. So we're not too bothered by it. We support and we've, we've written letters on behalf of that change as well. Um, but I do wonder why there, there is so much discussion on this point. I think we're going to get there eventually. And I think we do all have to push together, but I think for the next couple of years anyway, it's okay. What are you um, saying is they, they have stickers, so, you know, you have a steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. Why take out the steering wheel? Well, the only reason to do it is if you're going to build your own vehicle from the ground up that was designed for specific use cases. For example, people with disabilities, or you know, like a an autonomous paratransit. I'm waiting for that. Then maybe it'd be like, well, why do I need a steering wheel in here for this? Um, but maybe you just keep that at a, you make it electric and you keep it at 25 miles an hour. That, that could be tough too. I mean, I could see reasons why you'd want to do it, but if it came down to, I just want to learn as much as possible. And I want to deploy right now with a commercial uh, service, then no, you're right. You, yeah, you there's a path to do, to do that now. Um, but for sure, it's going to be cool when we're able to get rid of the, the steering wheel and the controls. It's going to open up another seating position. There are, there are lots of advantages to it. Mm-hmm. But um, is is it going to be commercially necessary? Forget the steering wheel part of it. Um, the other upgrades that might need to happen to brakes, suspension, things like that. If you have a vehicle, right, and that's expensive, um, that's out doing fleet duty, uh, you want to, you know, have its utilization rate be as high as possible. Uh, theoretically, you know, if a vehicle is only designed for a couple hundred thousand miles, you could blow through that very quickly. Um, it, it, is, is it going to be a commercial necessity at some point to design a vehicle from the ground up rather than retrofitting vehicles? Um, I think it's helpful for um, the driver company to be engaged with the OEM at the very earliest stages to help inform the design. Um, I think the car companies, and we don't, we don't aspire to be one ever, right? Um, I think the car companies are really good at laying out these options and ensuring that there's an L4 capable variant of the vehicle at relatively low cost. Um, they have to solve that problem. It's one of the challenges of OEMs with their own driver programs. Um, one of the big challenges for them is um, they have to push the button on capital investment spending and a new car program, a new vehicle program, one, $2 billion. And it's usually timed with precision. Um, however, if you don't know when your driverless technology is going to be ready, getting that timing plan, which is a big question mark to align with the board approvals for the big vehicle program is a big headache. Um, which is why from time to time we've had other OEMs come to Waymo and say, Hmm, it's taking a little bit longer to get this technology done than we thought. Um, we have this program in flight. Would you like to put your driver in because we'd like to kick it off and maybe you could be the first driver and we could follow. Um, so we've had situations like that already come our way. It is one of the trickier things for OEMs who have their own driver program. How do you align the timing when you don't know when you're going to be ready for scale? Because really nobody knows, I would argue. And and is it is it a problem to partner with a company that has their own in house development? You not no. that wouldn't be something that worried you. No. Okay. Alex, please. What? I can tell. Go. I see the wheels turning. Please. <laughs> you saw the squint. There was a slight squint. I like to. There was a one epi- wonderful episode of the uh, Letterman when Paris Hilton got out of prison, and she arrives. And uh, is this what this they call a non sequitur? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going somewhere with okay, this. Okay, okay. And Dave says, "Oh, Paris, it's nice, nice to see you. Let's talk about your time in prison." And she says, "Well, I want to talk about my new perfume." And he says, "No, let's talk about your time in prison." And she says, "I want to talk about my perfume." And he says, "Well, that's where you and I differ." So I like to return to an earlier question I asked you. <laughs> Which one? Nice um, segue. About um, you know, 
Uh, the devolution, like how, how many OEMs there, there were in the world. I mean, look, there used to be hundreds of car companies. Thousands. And thousands. And now it's 18, depending on who, which consultancy was overpaid for the chart. It's anywhere from 27 to 14 car companies in the world, plus Morgan. Uh, and then there'll be five. So um, what what happens in the future? My theory is you have a map of the world. It looks like a risk game map. We're in the stage where everybody puts their pieces on the board. And eventually you're going to see pieces in adjacent states. And eventually someone's going to move a piece into the same city as someone else. You know, so who will be left standing in 10 years? When are we going to see these pieces move into the same city? It would seem unwise today to move a piece into downtown San Francisco because it's going to be expensive for even one person to try to own that. So when do we see these pieces uh, start to move? Um, it's always hard for us to um, understand the launch timing or capability of others in the space. Like I, I honestly have no idea. But you've I, got cars. You, you have put some cars have appeared in LA. Cars have appeared yes, in Miami. Right. But you have not announced Detroit. Oh, Boston. so is, is yeah. your is your question more? Yeah, what is Which your question, is Alex? I'm baiting you, question? Oh, yeah, I'm I think wondering. what he's asking is, where is Waymo going to... Where might we go next? Like, where's we, Waymo when do, you, when do we move from the piece, the setup phase to the game phase? So we've, we've, we've put a piece and we have a service now in southeast Phoenix. It's a little bit bigger than the size of San Francisco. People always say it's a very small area. I don't know why they say that. It's bigger than San Francisco. Chandler Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, 60... 64 miles, depending on how you measure 60 to hundred. Um, so it's, it's quite a big chunk of real estate and it's in some ways challenging too. like, it's often described as suburb, blah, 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 blah. Um, it has, and, and you are on some of these roads. Um, these are 45 mile per roads where cards frequently travel at 55 to 60 miles per hour. Um, we don't exceed the speed limit, but others do. By the way, it's one of the problems with thinking it's easier if you're in a geofence 25 mile per hour area. That doesn't mean that all of the other agents are going to be driving under 25. We've had situations where 95 mile per hour pickup trucks enter 25 mile per hour speed limit areas and you have to be prepared um, and ready for that. So it makes you realize you have to have rear facing radar, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And I, and I saw some of the discussion on that. Um, you really need to do even better than the ranges that are being discussed um, because the target should be a fast moving, small frontal cross-section motorcycle um, in an autobahn sort of situation that's approaching you at 160 miles per hour from the rear, and for that from the rear, you need to be prepared for that. If not, that poor motorcyclist is is going to have a very bad day. Um, so, getting back to the the risk pieces or, or chess pieces, so we've played that first piece, and we think it's a it's a very sensible place to start. Um, for the reasons that we've discussed and are well known. I'd argue too, it's harder than some give credit for because of the high speeds. Um, a lot of others are choosing um, to maintain just a 25 mile top vehicle speed in cities like San Francisco. That simplifies the task quite a bit. Um, we'd love to drive in California, but we'd love a revenue generating business. And right now we're in discussions <laughs> with CPUC. Um, they're not saying that the business should be a charity. They're just saying they want to understand the patterns of usage and things like that. So we provided you know volumes and volumes of data. Um, we went to Miami because we wanted to understand really heavy rain better. And Miami's great for nice that place. Yeah. It's a nice place. Um, and we spent a lot of time in Detroit and Arbor now, and then up in the upper peninsula, um, to really understand super cold weather, um, and, uh, Kirkland near Seattle to understand hills and rain together. So we, we've enjoyed a lot of geographical um, dispersion. Where will we go next? Probably California would be the next market, but we have some work to do there and it would be LA or, or San Francisco. So I have a different version of this question, yeah. which is, it sounds like, it seems like, especially lately, you guys have um, signaled interest in a lot of different kinds of businesses. So you got LIDAR supply business, potentially it could be laser bear industries. It's a, a very cool t-shirt. I'm Thank you. Extremely jealous. We're going to get uh, you. One. <laughs> uh, so, so LIDAR supply, uh, obviously ride hailing mobility, right? Um, and uh, trucking, which has been interesting because it's like they're out there. Yeah. You see them in, in the right places, but you guys don't talk a lot about that. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems to me too, in particular, trucking kind of uh, jars 
one of the silly, I think silly stereotypes of like, oh, Waymo, like they can't do anything outside of Chandler, right? Like, like Chandler's so easy and they can't do everything, anything outside there because they're just so overhyped or whatever. Ridiculous perspective, I think, but it's, but with trucking, right? You're not gonna be driving semi trucks around Chandler. Right. I mean, not, not local, right? So you're not gonna use it for local delivery. Um, is it worth thinking about sort of all these different things you know, sort of coming in at different, Oh, Oh, I've, I forgot a really important one too, which is also partnering with OEMs, potentially putting licensing for a the PCO personal car ownership personal, sort of product, yeah. which vehicle. we should talk about. Let's, Cause, um, okay. Yeah. Which, which one of those do you want to talk about? Let's okay. go with that. We're set up for a question ever. At least we got to, okay. Okay. No, that was great. I'd love the, to talk about each of those, um, each you, of those business you, lines, but let me start by saying the, the hard part is getting the driver to work, to be the world's most experienced and safest driver. That has been 98.7% percent of our focus. Um, nothing else matters, right? But nothing else matters. All the talk on applications, who cares? Um, and you know, the impact on cities, like you don't have an impact on city unless you have a driver that works. So that's where we've been focused. Um, we realize that once you have that driver functioning and it can drive, um, uh, Chrysler Pacifica or an I-Pace with our fifth generation technology, which is even cooler. We, we can talk a little about that tonight too. Um, then you can probably drive other things too in other business applications. So getting to class eight trucks, um, there are some differences, but it's probably roughly speaking 80 to 90% common. Um, and the hardware set is 95% common. So there are some things that are different, um, but a lot of things that we're learning in the trucking uh, work stream at Waymo, which we call Husky internally, um, are going to help us as we deploy um, at higher highway speeds, our, our current Waymo driver, currently car-based Waymo driver. And then the commercial delivery in cities is a fairly straightforward extension of ride hailing. Um, we're doing that now with AutoNation, ironically removing car parts um, from AutoNation to some of the other body shops that AutoNation supplies parts to um, in our service area. And we've got other um, other logistics partnerships that we'll talk about coming soon. Um, so these are all relatively straightforward, especially this local delivery, relatively straightforward application of the same car, the same driver. We just pull the seats out um, and, and away the Pacifica goes with the Waymo driver. The class eight truck conversion is a little bit more challenging, but it makes a lot of sense for us. Why you haven't heard as much about it is probably because we haven't needed to raise awareness of it because it's a relatively small set of shippers that we'd be working with and and truck manufacturers. And we've made all those connections already. It's not something that needs um, a PR campaign or anything like that. It's not something that we need to get riders ready for as we do in in Phoenix. Does that make sense? Okay. Personally, personally owned automobiles. Cause this is, Oh yeah. Is, and then to PCO. No, and, and this is one of the ones that's also right. been like, Whoa, cause it's been, you know, we've gotten used to the idea of, of, you know, level four autonomy and it's going to be shared fleets. And yeah. we just had the CEO of ZF say like privately owned autonomous vehicles. Like, well, we just don't see a market for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not He's even wrong. just, He's wrong. Okay. Well, it's not that there isn't a market for it in my view. It's that the, the cost Right. Hurts that. But but there's always going to be someone who will happily buy and mm. throw down a lot of money for it. It just whether it makes sense it, for a company. A, it's to a do lack it. of it, it's intellectual laziness and it's people being like bound by the language of SAE that limits their ability to see business opportunities. John. Please tell us your vision for privately owned vehicles capable okay. of autonomous uh, function, so, and I will tell you mine. Okay, here's the here's the problem with the way I think people are thinking about it. Right, the problem is um, the average age of a car in U.S. roads is 11 years, which means there are a lot of cars running around that are 20 or 25 years old. I can't imagine maintaining a 25 year old laser bear perimeter lidar system, you know, on a car that that was built. 25 years ago in personal use, um, we would have had so many advancements in the hardware technology. True, we can upgrade the software, but the hardware is going to get better and better too. And that upgrade path is very challenging to imagine. So um, I think PCO is going to be more like a subscription. Um, and I think it could be a relatively short-term subscription. So how we thought about it with Waymo and how we're talking about it with our OEM partners is not a secret. It's just um, imagine a subscription um, and maybe it's a year and you have this car 
for a year in areas where we're already driving and because you do most of your driving in your hundred square mile geo anyway. Um, and then after that year, it gets deployed into a Waymo service or whatever ride sharing services we might be driving for in that area. Um, that way people can enjoy um, having this thing in their driveway with exclusive access. Um, and we would then have a mechanism to consume the rest of the lifetime of the car relatively quickly, quickly so we wouldn't have to worry about 17 year old laser bears in the field. And these would probably be cars with the option of, of, of being driven by the human as well. Possibly. Yeah. So would the first step then be to do the minivan or the iPACE or is this, are we talking about a completely different? Could be one of those, could be another of the products from either those OEMs or, or others um, um, coming. What do you think about that, Alex? Does that match what, what you were thinking for a PCO? Pretty close. Something like that. That's pretty good. Like a subscription model. It's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, so I, again, I, I wouldn't want we agree that. on many things, but you wouldn't want would the one I don't want that for myself. No, the subscription. I absolutely, the, the subscription is the foundation of it. It's how to do uh, it. It's why it's why, and I'll say it, these Tesla people have it all wrong. Like <laughs> they don't Tesla themselves and Tesla owners themselves don't understand the business of autonomous vehicles at all. Um, clearly at all. Uh, yes, you cannot have a vehicle that's years, 10 to 15 years old with ancient sensors running an AV stack, unless the company assumes liability, which it can't, unless it's a subscription business model. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, that's why you're leasing your Tesla. Of course right now. I'm leasing. Cause that thing is going to be like a, a hunk of bolts in about two and a half years. And I want to be rid of it. So I'm so glad I can't buy it. Like I don't even want, even want the choice. All right. The so, temptation. So we have a party to throw, but hold on. But we we're, gotta, we're actually, we're having that I mean, the, party. The party's already right started right now. <laughs> so, um, so the, uh, yin to the yang of your subscription model, there will be people that we know very well that there are people who will buy Tesla's and spend $7,000 on functionality. It doesn't work or even exists. We know that. So it is not unreasonable to assume that if ABs were deployed in commercial fleets at scale and the cost of the hardware, you know, what was brought sufficiently down that one could order and pick any luxury vehicle, um, a seven series, an S class, whatever that one could pay for the option to have the hardware on the car. And in addition to that, you would pay this for the subscription and, uh, which would work inside a fence. And so if an as yet undeveloped set of, um, uh, UI, uh, options were like if there was, if we actually had transition warning systems and cognition management systems, like things that are two generation past current driver monitoring were installed such a vehicle. One could pass seamlessly out of the L4 fence into a human controlled environment. If that transition was probably managed. And then you would might see people order this. They may not even use it that much, but it becomes a really, a really scaling business uh, that's ancillary and eventually maybe even bigger than the shared autonomous fleet revenues. So that's, you agree with John? Absolutely. Because, but it's a very a, long way of saying it's a yes, corollary to yeah. the, I think people want multimodal, multimodal, even within the same vehicle, but no one has shown them a path forward. We've seen this. It's been seen as binary and that's been a big problem. Yeah. I think what Alex describes is very doable for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you uh, a question about Ford versus Ferrari. Um, I want to know if you maybe saw a parallel that I maybe just read way more into because it's a topic that I, but you've, you've worked in the traditional auto industry in actually quite a few different aspects of it. Um, and then you, you now work in, you know, one of the most famous tech companies around. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, did you see parallels um, between sort of what's happening now in the auto industry of sort of this coming together of the traditional auto industry and, and the tech world in Ford versus Ferrari, where you have this traditional auto company where they need these sort of maverick West Coast guys to, to do something that they can't do. And the Maverick West Coast guys kind of need the big car company too to do, to do what they would love to do and can't do on their own. And even though they both need each other, it's still like this tension. And I don't know, did I just read, did I read way more into that? Or did, is that something that you saw too with your experience? I, I, I didn't see that, but I can see it is the way uh, you tell it. What do you think, Kirsten? Did you, did you see that? Did you see the film? Of course. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's like relevant comparison. So um, is uh, Fiat Chrysler, the, the Ford in the story and Waymo are the you know, the Shelby of the, of, of the world in the, in that scenario. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it seems like 
there certainly was a competition that was happening before. And now there seems to be a greater alignment. What I find interesting is that everyone seems to be partnering and it's not always clear the, how, what the, how meaningful those partnerships are. If you were to just read the press releases and the blog posts and the announcements that come out of it. And what I've been learning over the past two years is that in fact, no, you know, all these partnerships there's are of, of equal, of not equal importance. So yeah, there's, there's a, there's a huge distribution, I think of, of strategic importance for these partnerships. I think broadly speaking, you can put the auto industry into two camps. One is the camp that says, um, it's important to understand how to build our own driver. And so I'm going to do that. And you have companies like GM with Cruise and Ford, Volkswagen now with Argo, um, who have taken that path. And then there are others who have said, um, this is a big investment. I'm not sure that I want to take that on. It makes sense for me to partner with a company like Waymo. Um, do you guys see it that way too? Like there are these two camps. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, you have so much better of a view, like for us, for, for so much of this stuff, like we're guessing, right. Um, and make it, making educated guesses. Yeah. Alex being the exception. Um, but I'm wondering sort of on this, this topic of relationships, um, have attitudes about partnership changed over the time, maybe at Waymo or maybe sort of more broadly in the, in the AV space. Um, and, and from either side, from the, from the industry side and from the, have, have the attitudes of, of each side towards each other, have they evolved over time? I think they have, and I think they'll continue to evolve. Um, before my time at Waymo and, and, and Google, cause I joined now, can you believe it's like, it's getting on four and a half years, um, that I've been there. Um, it's a long time. And, um, I understand, um, in those very early years of the Google self-driving car project, um, the reputation of the project among those in Detroit wasn't, wasn't the best. And I think there was a certain level of, of arrogance and really lack of understanding and lack of respect for the, the craft of building cars. It's, it's a really challenging thing to do well. Um, and it's one of the things I tried to bring to Waymo when I arrived was um, more of that respect. We came close to doing a really interesting deal with Ford, which didn't work for a variety of reasons. Um, and then made the sort of partnerships that we needed to move our business forward. FCA has been a great partner. JLR has been wonderful. We needed an electric vehicle. We wanted to have a hundred percent Bev fleet um, as soon as possible. And the JLR choice was, was perfect. They had the best EV available to us in volume. Um, and then the recent partnership with Renault Nissan has been um, another strong one. And they've got a wonderful BEV um, set of vehicles for us as well. Alex, you had a question. You, were, well, you, were, no, you had something I have that to, was... I ha you, you just opened the door by mentioning Ford. So I, I've always wondered... Opening the door by saying best EV. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can follow up with that very obvious follow up there. But um, I've always wondered what ended up happening with, with the whole Ford. Um, because there were rumors. And of course, there was a story that came out. And then it was... Yeah. It, and then it, nothing the came of it. The story was told well, and I hate to retell it, but it was told well and accurately. And, and who wrote that story? Was it Wall Street Journal? Burns. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and I can't remember who that was, but, but so the history is, is well known um, right now. I think the best way to summarize it was it was too big of a deal too early. And it really limited optionality, I think, especially for us, um, too early in the development of the technology. Um, so I think it's a good thing, maybe for both partners, that, that it didn't work out in the end. Um, I can't say for Ford specifically, but I can say for, for Waymo, yeah, it's probably good that we didn't sign up to have such a big, giant, enormous deal so early in our, in our life. I also can't say. <laughs> Alex and I are aligned on this point. Um, but, um, and so we went to a lighter weight um, deal. This deal with FCA started out, let's just buy a handful of cars and see how we work together. And it's grown and, and progressed in maturity and strategic importance for both companies as we've gone. Um, we use that as a pattern with, um, with JLR and, and now um, uh, 
we haven't talked about all the things we'll end up doing with, with Nissan and Renault, but um, that's broader and we're moving into specific um, ride hailing applications where we're saying um, it's not essential that Waymo be the branded service. We're happy to drive for other transportation network companies, those that exist today um, or car companies who might want to give it a try. Cool. All right. Well, who gets the last question? Oh, how much did you enjoy Apex, the secret race across America? <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. I thought your mother was a star, as I said, Thank and I, I didn't give her the, 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 the podcast airtime. Just so we're clear, she was the, the star, star of, of Apex, Apex, the secret race across America. Yeah. That's right. Out on iTunes, Google Play, Watch and it Amazon. just to see aye, Alex's aye. mom right now. So wow. I, have, I have one thing. I, I'm have you both to, seen it? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen it twice now. Several, yeah, several fantastic. times. And um, you, you mentioned a laser bear industry shirt. I'm going to hold you to that because I have for you here a relic of your illustrious this is, past. This a is amazing. Save the asterisk t-shirt. This which is was when, such a sweet thing. <laughs> when you were at Hyundai, I was cleaning out my closet. I couldn't believe I saw such had a it. sweet thing. Yeah. And uh, you may have and the only t-shirt remaining. What I love about this t-shirt is that it shows that. Even John Kraftick, deep down, is a little bit of a troll sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Not there was a tiny a bit of troll. Bit. Now, um, I did have a co-conspirator. Um, did you guys know? Do you remember Dan Bedour? I do know um, Dan. Dan, if you're uh, listening, we, we know Dan. You know Nissan Dan. Uh, yeah, he's a Nissan. He's thorough, that man. And um, this was his brainchild. Okay. You know, because it, at the time, um, there were a lot of cars that were touting 40 mile per hour or 40 mile per gallon, um, EPA highway estimates. Um, but they were available only in extremely limited quantities. You know, there was like this cruise eco and there was a Dodge dart arrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you would see the big 40 MPG thing in the ads, and then you would see a tiny little asterisk saying limited availability may not be available in your area. We're only making 17 of these and they're all black. Um, sorry, that was the troll side coming out. <laughs> Susan's going, no, Oh, no, no. <laughs> this is so long ago. As Alex Ancient. said in Apex, the statute of limitations has run out. <laughs> exactly. So I can, I can say this now with impunity, I think. Or is it impunity or immunity? Hopefully, hopefully. So we struck back, you know, um, with what seemed like a really good idea at the time. Uh, which was this this really cheeky idea that everyone gets 40 miles per gallon if you buy an Elantra because every variant um, had this 40 MPG label. And so we invented, this was Dan's idea, the Save the Asterisks campaign. And we had a really funny video that talked about the asterisk being YouTube. endangered. Yeah, I think the um, video, if you, you look up Save the Asterisks, check it out on YouTube. Um, so folks were um, you know, inspired, I think, to, to save the asterisks by buying a Hyundai. Um, and I think it was a major fuel to uh, Hyundai Elantra success. I think you should market. bring a little bit of that, you know, troll to Waymo, you know, just make it a little edgier. You want to do that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think tonight, I think <laughs> my, my communication start. Yeah, lead, yeah. leaders start. Are, are excited about this little, little, little <laughs> opportunity. <edge. laughs> That's great. So New Year's resolution for 2020. Right. The, the year of the troll. Right. right. If you'd like um, to follow Waymo the adventures John Kraftchick on Instagram, the man knows how to have a good time. This is this could work, right. yeah. All right, so this we has been to way too much fun. This is yeah. We're gonna wrap now. I can't yeah, believe have, it. We have to wrap. I can't okay. believe it took so long for us to do this. I'm yeah, it's really, ridiculous. really excited that I'm this glad happened. we did. And um, we would love to come back. And maybe we do the next one at Waymo. Sure, is that possible? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if Alex will get we'll security to, we'll security to, clearance, <laughs> but uh, we'll have to smuggle Alex in that one. No. No, probably. Thanks not. for having us. Really enjoyed it. Seriously. Thank you. As always, Alex. I'm Alex Roy144 on all social media platforms. Kirsten. I think everyone knows where to find me. Twitter Meyer. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Ciao.